Good morning, church. God is good. And all the time? Amen. Uh, as those of you who are new may not realize, I'm not Sean Richmond. <laughs> Pastor Sean is on vacation this week. His lovely family is back with us. Uh, he will physically be with us worshiping on next Sunday, uh, but in fact won't be preaching. So he will um, be in the office next Monday. Amen? All right. Let's be in a spirit of prayer. Father God, Jeremiah said that he did not have the words, that he was only a child. But you said that you would give him the words. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts that are gathered here today would be acceptable in your sight. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that we would see you and keep our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith. I pray that you would unblock our ears, that we could hear what you have to say to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would prepare our hearts to receive your gifts and your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I love that I get to preach today on a day when we're celebrating communion. Because for me, in a way, it kind of brings things full circle. Communion for me is part of that sacred moment of connecting with God and reminding that I'm called to live in God's presence all the time and that I can live in God's presence because of what Jesus Christ did for each one of us. As some of you know, I served a church in Hopkinton for um, 18 months and that church unfortunately closed. And on one of our last worship times together, we shared communion. And we were small enough that we were able to gather in a circle. And as we shared the elements one to another, we looked at each other's faces and we remembered that it was Christ in each one of us who is the hope for glory. And there were two little boys who had come, their parents, um, they hadn't known the Lord when they first started coming, and they had been my real encouragement. Uh, and they just, they ate up God's word like anything. And they were growing and stretching, and they always wanted to participate in communion. But their parents weren't really comfortable at that point in having them do so. But on that day, as we stood in a circle, the person that was beside them looked at the mom and the dad and asked permission to serve them. And it was such a sacred moment because the dad took the cup and he took the bread and he offered for the first time to each of his children and then he shared it with his wife. And for those of you who know me, I'm a crier. <laughs> and it, but it moved not only me to tears, but it moved those in our midst to tears. Because it was a reminder that even as we were preparing to close a congregation 
as we were looking at dispersing as this particular church, that in the end, there were still beginnings. Amen? As these little boys took the body of Christ and the blood of Christ, they were connected to our Lord, even as we were. And so I truly do give thanks for this opportunity. You might be wondering how it came to be that I'm here. Some of you know my story. Uh, But it has been a journey of living in the presence of God over the past 18 to 19 years. We talk about how in a United Methodist church nearby, we were loved into the kingdom of God by a pastor from Ghana, West Africa, and the congregation he was serving. They mirrored for us what it felt like, what it meant to be living in the presence of God. They showed us what it meant to be in God's word and to be grounded in God's word and how we can enter in God's presence through our worship and through our prayers. And as God planted those seeds and we grew and under the Holy Spirit's guidance that took root in our spirits, our family was transformed. And it was a surprise to us that several years down the road that God called us as we were sitting in a a memorial service for a young person that God had called me to himself forever, but he didn't call me to one place forever. And so although we came to meet the Lord in the United Methodist Church, that was where he was calling us to stay forever. And along the way, God has used people in this congregation, Dot Norcross, Laura Richmond, Victoria Landers. He put these people in our path as they lived in God's presence and mirrored God's love. We got a glimpse of a different kind of community a kind of community that's mirrored in the book of Acts. And that's what marks this movement. I remember my son, Alex, who had connected with Neil Hubacher, who later became the pastor of the harbor. And uh, he sowed into Alex a lot through young life and as a teacher, and he sowed into Garrett. And when Alex, at Neil's prompting, applied to and was accepted to Baylor University. When Alex came home one of those times after being at Antioch and being discipled there, he sat down and he said, Mom, you need to be in a life group. And I looked at him and I said, well, that's all very nice, but we don't do life groups in the United Methodist Church. And God has called me to respond to be a pastor to shepherd, be an under-shepherd of his people. And, um, and life group, that doesn't seem to fit. And he said, well, that's what you need. And so the year that the River Church was planted was also the year that I was attending seminary at BU School of Theology. And I was doing my internship as a United Methodist 
seeking ordination in the United Methodist Church in a Baptist church, an international community church, which happened to be the place where the training school was being conducted that year. And there was a, a very sad event in the life of this movement, of the CFI movement, that a little girl, Janesse, only eight or nine years old, had died unexpectedly. And probably three weeks before that had happened, I had heard about the River Church being planted, and I'd gone on the website, and I saw there was a women's faith group. And Victoria Landers and Julia Evans were the ones who were leading it. And that became a means of grace for me. So this crazy person contacts them and says, I can't be a part of the River Church. I've been to World Mandate and my kids are involved in the movement. But, and I'm doing my internship at this Baptist church. And I'm in the United Methodist Church. But I want to be part of your faith group. And they let me in. And so when young Jeunesse died, God used that as another sacred moment. The call went out through the faith groups to come together to support this mom. And in fact, the funeral was held at the church where I was doing my internship. And I saw the people of God living as the people of God, as the body of Christ, living in God's presence, loving on that mom, loving on those grandparents, <coughs> despite the tragedy, the folks that were gathered there, being God's hands and his feet, were truly dwelling in God's presence, and God's presence was tangible in that service. And so when things, I continued on, uh, and I was appointed to this church in Hopkinton, I still maintained my connections to that faith group. So I was serving as a pastor, but I was also, I knew that I needed that support. And as I continued through seminary and as things weren't going so well at Grace, I was invited to come to Sean and Laura's faith group. I had, I had sent Susan Lane here. <laughs> I had gotten to know her in another experience, and I said, you need to go to the river. And so she said, you know, Laura told me that it's okay. You know, even though you're a pastor, you, you can come. And so that faith group on Wednesday nights was a source of living in God's presence for me. I remember doing a study that said, uh, from James Moore, I think, and it talked about how sometimes we are the paralytic that's on the mat whose friends need to carry him or her to Jesus, and other times we're the friends who carry another to Jesus. And in that season, I needed people to carry me to the throne because I didn't have the strength or the power to do that on my own. And so I give thanks for that, and I give thanks for this congregation. 
And it's a, it's a reminder to me that, to me, the church is not about a building. It's not about this space. It's about the people of God. And it's the people of God who help to usher us into God's presence when we aren't able to do it on our own. That's also the description that we see when we read Passion and Purpose, Jimmy Seibert's book. It's what you see through Antioch Community Church that founded this movement. We read it in the responses, and we see it in the responses to Janessa's death, and more recently to Susan Lane's situation. People going to the throne of God, entering into God's presence through his word, through worship, through fasting and praying, coming together and reminding us that this beloved community is what God designed. That it's not about coming and checking in and checking off our little to-do list, but it's about really dwelling in the presence of God. And we do that so well. Living in God's presence is the difference between doing things in my own strength or your own strength and pointing to ourselves or pointing to God because we're doing it in God's strength. When we actively live in God's presence and we're intentionally connecting with him, our responses are acts of worship. Prayer and fasting deepen our connection with God, and they help us to be more attentive to the Holy Spirit's leadings and what he initiates. Let's consider together what God is telling us in Scripture and how he's challenging us individually and as his church by beginning with the historic church at Antioch. Our Scripture today is Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And it says, Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So they had fasted and praised, and then they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So what were they doing? They were worshiping and praying, and they were fasting. They were actively engaging with the Lord. They were intentionally focusing on the God and seeking to draw closer to him. They were recognizing the Lord for who he was, what he does, what he can do. They were living in the presence of God. As followers of the living God, we too are called to engage in worship of him. That's part of our purpose in gathering here each week, isn't it? To engage in acknowledging who God is, what he's done, each week, in week and out of week, what he will do, and that strengthens our relationship with him. Each week, Dan and the worship team stand up here not to entertain us, but to lead us into God's presence, to escort us into God's presence. 
Worship isn't only directed from the front. It also needs to pour out from each one of us. The music is a vehicle. It's a means of engagement. But you know, it's not the only means. We're not merely observers, but each of us is individually challenged to respond. And the worship team here are also worshipers. Scripture reveals God's character. And it tells us about God and it tells us about ourselves. It too opens the door for us to engage in worship. Let's listen to what the psalmist declares in Psalm 33 in the New Living Translation through the voices of other worshipers in our midst. Let the godly sing for joy to the Lord. It is fitting for the pure to praise him. Praise the Lord with melodies on the lyre. Make music for him on the ten-stringed harp. Sing a new song of praise to him. Play skillfully on the harp and sing with joy. For the word of the Lord holds true, and we can trust everything he does. He loves whatever is just and good. The unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth. The Lord merely spoke, and the heavens were created. He breathed the word, and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Let the whole earth fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. The Lord frustrates the plans of the nation and thwarts all their schemes. But the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. What joy for the nation whose God is the Lord, whose people he has chosen as his inheritance. The Lord looks down from the heaven and sees the whole human race. From his throne he observes all who live on the earth. He made their hearts so he understands everything they do. The best equipped army cannot save a king, nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horse to give you victory. For all its strength, it cannot save you. But the Lord watches over those who fear him, those who rely on his unfailing love. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him, our hearts rejoice. For we trust his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord. For our hope is in you alone. Amen. In God's economy, you know, the Lord drew Bree to Psalm 33 while she was co-leading the North Africa outreach. And he also drew me to that psalm when I was on the India outreach. It begins by exhorting us to worship God, and it describes why he's worthy of worship. It reminds us of what he has done. He created everything, and it reminds us that regardless of what's happening in the world, God is still sovereign. Amen? It instructs us about how God views us, and it provides us with a model on how we can respond when we are truly living in the presence of God. 
those final three verses really resonated me when I was in India. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. That was especially relevant as I rode in the back seat of the rickshaws. <laughs> the church at Antioch suddenly didn't suddenly begin worshiping, fasting, and praying as Luke describes in our verses from today, Acts 13, 1 through 3. Hearing the Holy Spirit instructing them to set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work that God had for them did not just stem from an aha moment. Indeed, they were living out the instructions that Jesus had given to his 12 disciples. They, in turn, taught others who believed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and chose to follow him. They were taking Jesus' teaching and doing as he commanded. I invite you to turn to John 15, 1 through 10, if you have your Bible. And if not, you can follow along on the screen. It reminds us of our identity in Christ. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Remain, or as it says in some versions, abide in me, as I also remain or abide in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Those were Jesus' instructions to his disciples then. And they're his instructions to all of us now. Even in the face of Herod's arrest, the murder of James, John's brother, 
despite Peter's subsequent arrest that's all outlined in Acts chapter 12, the followers of Christ were meeting together in the homes and worshiping God and fasting and praying. They were remaining or abiding in Jesus and trusting that he would work in them and through them. Regardless of the hardship, they continued to live in the presence of God. They remained connected to him. They put their trust in him alone, just as we did for Susan Lang when the doctors didn't believe that she would live, right? Sometimes they rejoiced in answered prayer, just as we do. And they saw God do amazing miracles in their midst, such as Peter's miraculous escape from Herod's jail with the assistance of an angel of the Lord. Other times, they didn't receive the answers that they hoped for. But still, they lived in the presence of God, connecting with him through hearing and obeying the word of God, worshiping, praying, and fasting. When the Holy Spirit instructed them to set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work that God had for them, they were already in a position to respond because they were connected to the vine, Jesus Christ. You know, if you've been reading Passion and Purpose and the story of Antioch Community Church and the movement, you see, too, that Jimmy Seibert was in a position to respond to God through the Holy Spirit when he gave him the vision to move out in faith from Highland Baptist Church and to plant the church that eventually became Antioch Community Church. He was living in the presence of God, reading and obeying God's word, worshiping, praying, fasting. And Sean and Laura Richmond, Jeff Bianchi, Neil Hubacher had also positioned themselves to live out their faith in radical obedience to God. And Community of Faith Christian Fellowship in Brighton was planted. Later, the harbor, Tempe Church plant, and the river followed because leadership was grounded in God's word, living in God's presence, and willing to respond in faith to the Holy Spirit's leading. Now, not everything that happened in the lives of those in the early church was a cause for celebration. The results that they prayed for and hoped for did not always materialize. Persecution came. Faithful people died. Jesus had warned them, in this world you will have trouble, but to take heart, for I have overcome the the world. Tough situations exist. Hardship, persecution, disappointment, pain pierce our hearts and our minds and our bodies. And yet, God didn't abandon them and he doesn't abandon us. Amen? And yet, because he is the vine and we are the branches, no matter what, we know that apart from him, we can do no good thing. In chapter 8 of Passion and Purpose, Jimmy Seibert noted that God wants to do a great work through us. But before he can do that, he has to do a great work in us. Prayer and fasting prepared the way for God to launch the early church, and it prepared the way 
for Antioch Community Church Waco. Jimmy talks about the need to empty themselves and depend fully on God in order to open them up to the fullness of God. The question for us today is, what about us? What about us? Are we living in the presence of God? Are we engaging with God through Scripture and then doing it? Are we genuinely worshiping God, or is it just a ritual? Are we meeting with God through prayer and waiting in expectancy for his leading as we fast? Are we fasting? In Ezekiel 14, God warns the prophet that there were idols in the Israelites' lives that were separating them from him. Brian, last week, when he talked about generosity, talked about how sometimes those idols can block us from freeing up our pocketbooks <laughs> from doing the things that God would like us to do. But it's not just in the financial area. God warned the prophet Ezekiel that he would not speak to the idol worshipers if they sought his counsel through his prophets. And furthermore, that if the prophets sought to disobey him, they too would be punished. Now, we know Jesus Christ came and died for us. That's what this whole meal that we celebrated is, right? But that doesn't mean that there aren't things that are separating us from us fully living into our destinies in God. I know that this past 18 months for me has been a time of releasing pain and hurts, disappointments, and people to the Lord. It's been a time for healing of old wounds and being refined, or as Mary Lou said to me this morning, being pruned which goes right in with being a, the vine and the branches. But you know, there's always more layers and new things in our lives that need to be addressed when you're actively living in the presence of God. On Monday morning during early morning prayer, someone uh, came to me and she asked if I would pray about a situation that she was struggling with between her and her family. And you know, as I prayed for her, the Holy Spirit convicted me that I was guilty of some of the same things that she was struggling with, that I was responding in the same way to my children. And I had a choice then. I could be open and vulnerable, and I could share that. And I could go to my children, and I could ask for forgiveness. I could repent, turn away from what I was doing, and do my part. Or I could kind of sweep it under and say, well, you know, it's not a big thing. They've all moved. They're all in Waco now. <laughs> but living in the presence of God, I felt convicted to respond. And it wasn't from a place of judgment. It was from a place of recognizing that God was still working in me and needed that restoration, that before there could be restoration and revival, there needed to be that confession 
that apology and that repentance. Invite the team to come on up, the worship team. And I ask you, perhaps there's something that's separating you from God, something blocking your relationship or preventing you from moving forward. Jimmy Seibert writes that as he and the students that he had gathered emptied themselves out through fasting and prayer, a young woman came to him and said she had something she needed to confess, an abortion. And she wasn't the only one with things that needed to be emptied out in confession so that God could fill them and could spur on revival. Those confessions led to repentance and then deeper relationship with God, truly living in the presence of God. Revival, personal and corporate, was the result. During this time, I'm asking you, to open up yourself to the Holy Spirit, to empty yourself of whatever may be there, and ask if there's anything that you need to bring out of hiding and darkness into God's healing light. If the Lord brings something to mind and you're in a faith group, then I encourage you to go and share with someone that you feel safe with. If you're not in a faith group, or you're uncomfortable sharing in that place, you're welcome to come to the front. And a leader will be here at the front to listen, to pray. This is a sacred time. It's not about condemnation. It's not about judgment. It's about gaining the freedom that Christ has for each one of us to live more fully in the presence of God. If you need prayer for something else, come to the side on the worship of the worship center over by the prayer room. And if during the week the Lord brings something to mind that you need to share, you're always welcome at early morning prayer on Mondays at 6.30 or Wednesdays at 6.30. Let us turn to the Lord in worship and prayer, remembering that actively living in the presence of God, even as he lives within us, is the best place that we can ever be. 